0: Like my dad would pick up the phone and like, literally, (laughs) I think my dad imagined that you have to power the phone with your voice or something. Because if somebody called from LA, he'd shout even louder. I'm William.
1: I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands
2: of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week
1: we pull a topic out of the hopper and we talk about it. This is the Hopper Podcast.
0: Being Cuban American is uh, clearly experience differs on, you know, where you are Uh in Miami in Miami. It's like the fish that doesn't know it's in water. Um, It's just anywhere you go here, you're going to be hit with Cuban American culture. And yeah, yeah. It's just part of the, you know, it's like pecan pies in Georgia. Right. You know, people, people just come to expect them everywhere. Even in a gas station. And uh, in Miami, it's, Imbued with it in so many ways. So, yeah. have you been in Miami I, your whole life? No, I lived in, I grew up in Miami. I lived in St. Louis for three and a half years and North Carolina for one and a half years. And I did not realize I was as Cuban as I was until I moved to St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and that came to me in just a few interactions in my first month there. The first being that uh, I was, that people were generally surprised when I told them that I spoke Spanish at home that I, because they were expecting me to have a really thick accent. Uh, They're expecting me to talk like, I like, get like Sofia Vergara or something.
2: Yeah. And, uh, like Scarface.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which it's not even a Cuban accent. It's just yeah. Tony Montana. Just that's, that's the more close. It's fun. Uh, yeah but uh you know say how old my little friend i i don't know what he's doing but it's not <laughs> cuban no he's that's, not cuban. Like, that's not cuban that's more italian or something i it's don't like know it's like italian yeah it's, it's, it's like marbles in his mouth and he's just kind of like spitting things out but um anyway well, i got
1: to say that that
0: from my perspective you i'm with you
1: 100% but it also does sound to me like when Cubans speak Spanish, it does sound like they got marbles in their mouth. But yes. Tony Mantana does not sound like a Cuban. So I'm, I'm no. with you there, but no.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cuban, Cuban Spanish is probably one of the harder sp- Spanish dialects to understand because, yes, uh, I agree it, completely. I, I, Island, Islander yeah. Spanish in general, like Dominican, Puerto Rican, Cuban. Yes. We drop a lot of S's. We aspirate, you know, our S's, we drop at the ends of words. Um, so it, it's a lot more, and it's more rapid fire than, uh, you know, if you hear somebody speaking Mexican Spanish or South American Spanish, Cuban Spanish is just rapid fire and a lot of like. Wah, 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 there it is. <laughs> people understand, yeah. Huh. It's actually that's the Gettysburg Address in Spanish. <laughs> uh, but at what, when I got to St. Louis, there there was that first a genuine surprise, like people generally, like, oh really? It's almost like one what, what of those. And I'm not trying to like sound equal, but. Like when people like say you know oh well you're pretty well spoken for a cuban Like, what, what do you expect like <laughs> right, i right. grew up i grew up watching the simpsons i mean that's uh you know it's the third culture i guess but also when uh i, I met a student there at, at covenant st louis who i believe he was his parents were from honduras but he had grown up here and he asked me so he, first thing he says so flour or corn I was like, "What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, tortillas, man? It's yeah. Like flour or corn?" And I'm like, uh, "I don't know. I guess if I if I go to a Mexican restaurant, I'd ask for like corn, maybe." And he's like, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Okay." Like maybe he just asked that to everybody. And then, uh, it is and he says like, "So like, did your mom make tortillas?" I'm like, "What? No, we don't eat tortillas. What are you talking about? Like, right?" It, it's a, like I get a grasp. Like, oh, okay. He's thinking. Like I guess Cubans also eat tortillas, but they don't. No, um, no, yeah, they, yeah. And, and there's there's such a. I, I felt like I made it my mission in St. Louis to educate people <laughs> on Cuba, and uh, I did that mostly through food. I, you know, I cooked for a lot of people in St. Louis. I invited them over. People would be surprised. It's like, well, this isn't spicy at all. I'm like, yeah, Cuban food's not spicy. No. And and then my roommates. um, and this is the other thing. Like, I, I came up thinking, like, I'm, you know, uh, American as the whatever, as, as the whitest snow American, as whatever. The Simpsons, like, yeah, uh, yeah I, I like the, I quote The Simpsons. Then so you, you know, moved I, to I the grow- Midwest in your are Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It, it was, there was a huge culture shock. A couple of things that stood out to me. One was the, how, and I don't know how to explain, how nice and closed off people were. Uh huh. That in in Miami, you know, if somebody is nice to you, you're basically like you're you're, you're a family to them now. Yeah, yeah. You know, go over, have a party, you know, have, have some beers, or whatever. If somebody is close, like doesn't want to talk to you, like they're like the people either love or hate you. It's like you either ignore people completely, or you see them, you hug them, and you're like ah, oh, you talk for hours. But in the Midwest, it was like people who seem so interested in me, and then nothing. It's just like it was they're just being nice. Yeah. And um and it took a lot to like for some people just get through that shell and to like you know get to talk about deeper things, um, so so that that was new to me. I had one girl at a at a church I went to. Tell I, I was flying home for Christmas, and um, and she was like, "Oh well, I hope you know you enjoy the the snow." And I was like, "It doesn't snow in Miami." And she said, word for word. Uh, doesn't snow in Miami that's so unnatural. And I'm like, <laughs> actually, that's actually natural. That's perfectly natural uh-huh, for not knowing uh-huh. a tropical climate. But for her, you know, her concept of winter clearly is snow, but mine's not. Um so you know things like that, just realizing how different Miami was. And another thing that I picked up in North Carolina too, and North Carolina was a warmer place, not just Climate-wise, but I think the people were a bit warmer in North Carolina. Uh, a couple of things I didn't know about myself that I didn't learn until I went to both St. Louis and North Carolina. First, uh, I'm really loud. That I had people many times ask me, like, why are you shouting? Like, like I would pick up the phone and I yeah. just like, you know, just shout into the phone. Like, why are you shouting? Like, I'm not shouting. I'm just talking. Like, no, like, you're being really loud. I'm like, that's just how I talk. And I, like my dad would pick up the phone and like, literally, I think my dad imagined that you have to power the phone with your voice or something. Cause right. if, <laughs> yeah. some, if somebody called from like far, somebody called from LA, he'd shout even louder. Like, like he's yeah, to, yeah the it's like, it's one
1: of yeah. It's like one of, the, yeah, like one of those sure.
0: crank crank radios, you know, like uh-huh. get the power up. But, um, yeah, I speak loudly. I was, uh, and, and I think it was in North Carolina where I did the, um, project uh what was it quit pronoun that uh i i told people hey you take me to your favorite restaurant and you you know you buy me a meal at your favorite restaurant and i'll come over to your house and i'll cook you a cuban meal you know like you feed my stomach i feed yours and got to a lot of north carolina food that way i got to know a lot of people that way and one day it was like a day off and i was just watching the movie the station agent and the station agent uh, indie movie from, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago now, stars Peter Dinklage, one of his first movies, but also has, his name escapes me at the moment, but it's a Cuban American actor, or Cuban-Italian uh, playing a Cuban in New Jersey. And the character in this movie uh, like runs a little food truck and is loud, funny, wants to be Peter Dinklage's friend, wants to invite him over, wants to cook for him. And I felt like, have I been like living a stereotype like this whole time? Like this is like the, <laughs> this guy's playing a Cuban to the T. Like that's a yeah. is that a Cuban stereotype or something? And um, you know, I, so all that to say, it wasn't until I became the fish out of water that I was like, okay, I actually sense now that's it. It's different. The positive experiment of it was like I like that feeling of oh I'm different, oh or I'm unique, or I can talk about my culture and it's people are interested in hearing about it. The negative aspect um was after when i was about to graduate seminary and i was you know putting the feelers out for for jobs i got the only jobs i'd hear about were and i mean you know, i'm not putting down anybody who's in this kind of role whatever but it, it almost felt like the people who were interested in me were people who wanted a spanish-speaking pastor for a small group of people at their church so let's say a church somewhere in Pennsylvania has a, you know, burgeoning Salvadoran community or Mexican community. And, and they're really trying to reach out to them. So they're like, well, we need a Hispanic or Latino to come here and talk to them. And when, when I see that, cause like it, when I would see that, I'd be like, Oh, you should probably look for a central American then, because it's not that like every person who speaks Spanish is like monocultural, like we're all get along. Like that would be like if a bunch of Australians show up and you're like, oh, we need to get a Canadian here to talk to them. Like, no, just very different cultures. Like I, Mexican culture, Cuban culture, very different, different stories, different uh, words even. And and different mindsets too. And it, it, it there's, if if you wanted to reach out to those people and, and kind of speak their language and, and make sure you, the, all the shibboleths are right, then you're better off looking for somebody who's closer to that, culture or that region. Um, but those were the only things popping up for me. It was almost and not that people were like tunneling me into that, but it seemed to be like, if, if my, if I lead with the fact that, you know, Victor Labrada and Labrada is not Italian is actually Cuban or you know, Hispanic. If I lead with that, I can speak Spanish. I, I have this, I'm bilingual, whatever. Then the people who would respond to that would be mostly, Oh, we need you to reach out to this poor, Mexican community in our part of town, whatever. And I remember feeling like I don't feel called to that. Like I just feel, I mean, again, I grew up watching the Simpsons. Like I just feel called to ministry and, and, and not, you know, in particular to a particular region. So that's when I think I had a conversation with, with William. I'll never forget this. This was a, uh, I was at, in forest park. You were already in North Carolina and yeah. 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 And I asked you to describe for me like a typical Sunday at your church, and what you described, I was like, I would work there for free, like you know, let, give me an excuse to come there. And, and then you um, pretty much did. I pretty much did. But yeah, uh, so I think I, I think, say- I think at our, you came to work. You
1: were you were an assistant pastor with me in North Carolina, and uh, we gave you the leftover communion bread. I think that was your uh, salary. Yep. Uh, I stole it
0: from the ducks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> but it, it was um yeah. Stale bread wanted, all week. Yeah, yeah. It it was uh, and that and the wine the wine goes bad if you don't drink it. I'm just telling you. Um so yeah. it, it it was a, a good experience to to be able to just uh, I don't know, do do I don't I don't know how to describe it, like ministry comfortably, like without being hyper aware of I'm trying to reach ex community. It's just, I'm just trying to reach people. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so I've seen the, that experience of it. I also, while I was in North Carolina, got to experience being like the de facto expert on um, when I believe it was president Obama um, lifted the restrictions or some of the restrictions on Cuba. And there was this, like, in. You know, I, I'm trying to think of a, a analogy for this. You know, have, happens to other maybe people from other backgrounds. Everybody all of a sudden became an expert in Cuban history, and mm. it happens every few months. You know, people become experts in whatever.
1: Everybody on NPR, I remember that. You know, every uh, national broadcaster became absolutely an expert on on all things Cuban.
2: Yes, especially yes. I, the cigars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So, so there was, you know all of a sudden I, I felt like this need to I remember posting on, on Facebook at the time, like this need to clarify some things, you know, for people to understand what this means for Cubans and that Cubans are actually divided on this, that it's kind of generational to how they're divided and trying to get across. And again, not that I ever felt like anybody was trying to pigeonhole me, but trying to get across like, Hey, even Cubans can disagree. Like people from this, you know, Cuba's been overly influential for how many for how big the population is you know a lot that has to do with Castro and the Cold War and all that but to be able to 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 get across like hey not every Cuban thinks this way on either side of it and and it's really it's a it's a really tense issue yeah um, it, it would be like saying every American feels the same way about x or y issues like
1: well that happened um in the last election as well uh when we had, there was a, was it the last election or the previous one? When uh, a lot of Cuban Americans in Miami uh, shifted to the, the Republican Party. And then everyone became an expert. They knew exactly why. Like, oh, this oh, surprised yeah. everybody. But now, uh, you know, it's been 24 hours since the election and we all know exactly why this happened. And uh, we didn't, we, no one predicted yeah. it, but we all knew exactly what was happening. Yeah. The, yeah. the news feels a need mm. to. To be able to explain everything,
2: yeah.
0: Well, it, yeah, it's everybody wants the role of prophet, and um, it, it, and you know unless you're wrong because prophets get killed, but but everybody wants to be able to explain like why did the rain fall on that field, and um, yeah, well, and, with, and, and and I mean, yeah. but what I guess what I'm saying is I
1: remember when that happened and all these commentators were saying oh yeah we understand the Cuban American community, even though when they would explain it I'm like and I know almost nothing but I lived in Miami for a number of years and I know a bunch of Cuban folks and what you're saying doesn't characterize them at all in far well, as far as I'm concerned Yeah,
0: I, I remember when they uh, 8 years ago when, when LeBron James left the Miami Heat right a lot of people in mine my, myself included were like oh man oh he was great we're going to miss him ESPN went and found like this 16-year-old kid who was just saying like you know f LeBron James he's horrible we don't <laughs> want it like he sucks and so the, the news story became like oh Miami fans turn on LeBron James like oh great you found the one idiot you can get a great you know soundbite from <laughs> and I'm I'm sure everybody's been in that position where all of a sudden they're like that's not what we believe at all but they found the one guy who believes it uh, so, so that as far as the Cuban American experience in in these different places. I had kind of this feeling of being the representative, I guess, and trying to be the best representative I could be. Um, you know, not that I'm like part of the whatever tourism board of Cuba or anything like that, but but trying to represent it well, and also remind people of you know the nuance of it. And then in in Miami, where it's been, uh, it was really with my dad, and my, my dad passed away a year and a half ago, and and um, he had very strong, I mean. Very strong opinions about castro, clearly. But talking with him about stuff and and just being I guess the conversations that even people from any country have with their parents when they differ with them on certain topics. And uh, and feeling this tension of, you know, I, I need to respect my father and respect his viewpoint and also have my own viewpoint and evolve, you know, or, or like you know, develop over time. Because many Cubans and this is an interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't get about Cuba is Cuba is it's almost like it's a fantasy that's trapped in time Cuban 1959 1959 Cuba is this place that doesn't exist anymore and will never exist again but for every Cuban exile who's still alive it is present for them yes always in their minds and it only becomes rosier as time goes on yeah, and it goes down to even the the food Uh and this is interesting when i I was learning all these recipes to cook all this different food the cookbooks that i had would go out of their way to recommend frozen peas they'll go out of their way to recommend canned tomato sauce and canned items and i was thinking like what on earth like it's like just cheap stuff and uh, like and it's got to it's got to taste better if you use fresh stuff right and i looked it up, like, why do all these recipes have canned items? The reason was, in the 1950s, that was all the rage. Yeah. Frozen yeah. peas, canned whatever, yeah. you know, c- and bottled olives, all, all this stuff was all the rage to have mm. in your food. And when the exile community left in the late 50s and the 60s, they took those recipes with them, froze it in time, and like, these will never change. this is this is what it means to have arroz con pollo this is what it means to have you know frijoles negros like this is what it means like and if you do it differently it's not actually that but if they would have stayed in cuba the recipes would have developed they would have used you know whatever people use now like it would have changed over time yeah
2: hey this is dave at the hopper podcast are you tired of people being divisive angry or even cruel to each other especially to those with whom they disagree At The Hopper Podcast, we want to bridge people together and listen to opposing views so we can all grow. If this sounds like a good idea to you, please like, subscribe, and share The Hopper with someone right now. Thanks. Willie, have you ever been on some tragic date? Uh, I've been on some really awkward dates, some really awkward dates, but
1: not tragic, I don't think.
2: Yeah. I yeah uh, I mean tragic metaphorically really I sure. I I just watched some impractical jokers. Oh yeah, those guys um, are great. And they went on a speed dating challenge where okay, they had yeah. to say what the other oh, guys yeah, yeah, yeah. were telling them their earpiece to say okay, to yeah. these people and of course it was um Either obscene or ridiculous, right? Or, you know, right. One of them had to say, um, "Oh, hey, I just need to tell you right off the gate that I have a micro penis," um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, you know,
2: right. that kind of thing. Sure, sure, that you sure. Would expect from the impractical jokers, right? Right. But um, I, I've never been speed dating. I would, I would bet a lot of money that you haven't either. No, never. Yeah, I, I haven't done a ton of dating because I always had a, a, a girlfriend, and well, no, I had, I, I had a girlfriend in high school, and then I, and then I, I decided I didn't really want to date, date. Yeah. I wanted to find a spouse. Yeah. And so I uh, I went on dates and stuff like that and, and knew people and met people and stuff like that. But um, as far as getting exclusive with somebody, yeah. I did that in high school and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna move toward marriage. Yeah. And so I I, I didn't play the field like you people most people yeah, mean when sure, they say sure, that. Sure. But I but I was um I was flirty and I I went on lots of dates. Anyway, I went on this one date. And I'm driving along, and I smell something horrific. Oh no! It it doesn't smell like a fart. It smells worse than a fart. Okay. Okay. It smells like a sewage treatment. Plant. Oh no! I mean, it smells awful. And I say, "Oh my gosh, what is that?" And they're like, uh, "What?" And I was like, "I something smells horrible." And uh, <laughs> and they're quiet. And I said, "Do you smell that?" Oh my gosh, I, this is like the worst smell I've ever smelled. Okay. And she said, "I'm sorry. I have a bit of gas." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh. Okay then." <laughs> I thought that this was a worse smell than could a uh, human could muster. But <laughs> but
1: apparently you you can. And now she's got a story to tell <laughs> to her therapist um, for years to come. Oh boy! But um,
2: you have looked up a few tragic or hilarious dates from the internet.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, some. So I, I was I was looking on online to see some of the worst dates. So for I mean, okay, you said yours. I I didn't date much. Uh, I was not very flirty. I was really into the books and really mm-hmm. into kind of my own thing. And uh, and I was mostly interested in a mate. And when I, you know, dating is somewhat... Okay, when I'm going to date somebody, I'm, I'm interested in marrying them. Anyway. And then, you know, so I found my wife and we got married. Anyway. But other people who date a whole bunch yeah, when you date a bunch, there's going to be a bunch of crazy stories. yeah. Here's someone who says, I was out on a first date. We were talking about mutual friends and neighbors and family and so. And we found we discovered that there were a lot of names that were familiar in both of our stories. Long story short, I discovered that she was my second cousin, Yay, rural Kentucky. <laughs> 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 be careful. Yes, yeah. for sure. Let's see. Here's another person that says, In the early 1990s, I met a bartender at a club in Miami. He was working his way through law school. He was attractive, seemed really sweet. We went on two dates. Everything was going well. But on the third date, after dinner, he drives us to a desolate area to talk. Once he parked the car, he says very gravely, he has something to tell me, and he reaches behind the seat, pulls out a giraffe hand puppet, slips it on, and tells me his <laughs> therapist told him to use the puppet to convey his feelings. <laughs> Warning, warning,
2: warning (laughs) That's uh... (laughs) Yeah, okay That's when you say, oh, hey, I've got a hand puppet too It's back at my place, can you drop me off? I'll go get it Yeah, right (laughs) Wait in the car, I'll be right Right back
1: I'll be back Later Oh, man. Here's another bird that says, on a second date, he says, I like you, so I want to introduce you to my mom. Okay. It seems a bit early in the relationship for this, but no problem. He takes me to a cemetery and introduced me to his mother's headstone. Mm. Mom,
2: meet Nancy. Nancy, meet mom. Oh, man. Yeah. I can think of some bad dad jokes right now. Okay. She's been dying
1: to meet you. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah. Okay, let me give you another one. Uh, This guy asked me if I can pick him up because his car was in the shop. Okay, no big deal. Crap happens, but at least he gave me enough notice to change plans. I I picked him up, and we drive to the restaurant, and on the way, he asked me to pull over into a fast food parking lot because he's got to use the restroom. Now, this is only five minutes after we left his apartment. That's strange, but maybe he's got a nervous bladder. Okay. Um, I thought he was going to go inside to... No. He goes behind the dumpsters (laughs) to do his business uh, there by the dumpsters. That was enough for me to be done with the date, but it gets better. Mid-P, the police show up not only to pull out their citation book, but they address him by name. Uh, (laughs) One of the cops says, uh, and and she doesn't say his name, but calls him by name and says, haven't we talked to you about this before? You can't take care of business in public like this. Oh, my God. Hey, you know,
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, listen, you know what I just heard? I heard of a girl who needs a much better vetting process. Yes, good you know, that, call. That's what I just heard. Good
1: call. Like, where did you meet this guy? You know, Where standards. did you meet this guy? Come on. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's awful. Okay, here's another really bad one. I met this guy online. Here, okay, low standards, right? we got to... Uh, we talked for a month. Decided to meet for dinner. He chose a buffet, saying that we would be in one of the in a dining room, a private dining room. He met me at the entrance, escorted me into the. Pri- <laughs> you can't esc- even finish it. Escorted me to the private room where there were fifteen members of his family already eating. He forgot to tell me it was his aunt's birthday, but surprisingly to him and to me, his aunt stood up and announced this was not her birthday, but rather it was an intervention. For my date, I was frozen oh my gosh. as over and over I heard multiple family members talk about his drug use, how they're done loaning him money oh and if he gosh. doesn't go to treatment today, they're gonna cut him off. I said, "I gotta go to the bathroom and I left. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. <laughs>
2: what in the world (laughs) excuse me for just a second i have to make a phone call i think that's of all that i read that's got to be the worst
1: that's that's a really really bad
2: one (laughs) hey date we are so sorry that you're here but this is the only way we could get this intervention planned so
1: you're excused now wow hey listen if you had a weird and terrible date story that you have heard of that you were a part of that you know of Write us at thehopperpodcast at gmail.com. I definitely want to read it on yeah. the, the future podcast. Or if it's easier for you, leave us a voicemail. Tell us about it at 214-267-9287, and we'll play it on the podcast because I love these kind of stories. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to The Hopper Podcast. You
2: made it to the end of this week's episode. Congratulations. You win a Game of Preference. Bathroom edition.
1: Oh, man, that sounds great. Yeah. To claim your prize, write us at thehopperpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 214-267-9287. Join us next time when we will discuss who was the worst cast member on Friends. Oh, I like Friends. Mm -hmm. I have opinions. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Be sure to li- <laughs> Be sure to like, subscribe, follow, join our Facebook group for more
2: hopper goodness. The Hopper Podcast is sponsored this week by Montel Williams Show reruns. Thanks, Montel.
1: <laughs> is it still rerunning?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> but they're trying to get it going again somewhere.
1: They're trying to get it going again.